Kudu here. Listen to Safari. Bits and bites from the bush. Wilderness wise with eco training. Uh, my name is Russell Crossy. I'm a guide working for eco training. I've been working in the safari industry for the last uh, 30 years. Essentially, since I started my career, it's all I've done. So I feel I'm very uh, earthy person, very close to the earth, um, and have a passion for, for geology. I think that might go back to my hippie roots. Uh, I was a child of Woodstock, uh, and there was a wonderful line by a singer called Joni Mitchell, uh, where she sings a song called Woodstock, and she speaks of human beings uh, being composed of carbon, billion-year-old carbon. Uh, it's a line of Joni Mitchell's that I'll never forget, and backtracked some of what she was trying to say there and essentially if you look at uh, where we all come from we are all stardust if you think of the um, big bang theory when the earth originated the universe originated 14 million years ago there was essentially a massive explosion of matter outwards and everything that is originated from that original event uh, essentially as the billions of years passed on and the debris from the Big Bang started to accumulate and accrete, essentially in the form of sort of planetary dust. That was the beginnings of our, of our early, early planets. And at that particular time in history, the only elements available were hydrogen and helium. So nothing could happen uh, until hydrogen and helium started a process. And fortunately, they are able to react in a nuclear fashion and that was how stars were created, by the fusion of, of hydrogen and helium. Uh, and that is, all other chemical elements had to originate from that first uh, scientific meeting. Uh, so what, what, what would then happen is, as stars progress and get older and older, eventually the stars get too, too heavy for themselves, and matter starts to, to build up to the point where they collapse, uh, catastrophically in what is known as star collapse. Um, a supernova, uh, and when supernovas occur, there's such an immense buildup of heat that the original conglomeration of hydrogen to helium causes a massive implosion, and in the ensuing heat and pressure, all the chemical elements that we know today are formed. So essentially, if you look at us as human beings, comprised chiefly of elements of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, uh, those elements couldn't exist until uh, stars went through their cycles, collapsed, and then uh, we were re essentially recycled outwards and became human beings uh, comprised of those elements. The same elements that comprise all the rock that we, we look uh, and see around us. So a lovely parallel I once heard of was when human beings arose through evolution, it was almost as if the very rocks around us stood up uh, and walked and life was breathed into them. So when I sit on a rock like this and look over a spectacular view like Solomon's Wall, uh, in front of us, one can, only, uh, one can only speculate about our beginnings and, and that's one of the beautiful things about being in, in wilderness is this connection with where we come from. And If you look at Mashatu, it's a particularly interesting area geologically. There's so, it's so diverse. If you look around, you can, see, uh, you can see so many different colors of rock. You can see in front of us this uh, vast alluvial river plain of the Maklotsi River, it's this impressive Solomon's Wall. In front of us and you can look behind us this huge big marsh of very very clay soils that are so green in contrast to the surrounding um, brown landscape uh, and all of this originates back to to the ancient landscapes the different uh, eco zones we have here depend on what type of rock has eroded to create those eco zones 
So it all goes back to that uh, big bang, to the, to the recycling of nutrients, accretion of planets, and, and yeah, we are part of that. We stood up as ancient rocks and walked, and we can now look back. We have consciousness of the ability to now admire uh, the steps we've come through and to speculate on us one day becoming a uh, rock or an animal or something else in, in, in the nat- natural cycle. And I think a lot of people find uh, this particularly refreshing when they're out in wilderness. It's not a formal kind of religion, but people tend to, to find that this is often their cathedral because this is uh, where we come from, it's where we go back to. Um, and that, that makes me uh, speculate uh, a lot when I'm out in wilderness. But just to, to look at this beautiful view in front of us, if you look at this massive river plain, we see the Matlotsi, is still a very big river, but one has to wonder why this floodplain is so huge between the two rivers when, uh, when the Matlotsi today is, is only about 50 meters wide, and yet we're looking down here between these two valleys. Geologically, one could tell that this was once a much bigger river, a river valley, and that was the, the case because if you look back and uh, study uh, geology, the geologists believe that all the major rivers of southern Africa actually flowed down this particular river course millions of years ago. So that would have been the Okavango River, the uh, Lenyanti River, the Chobi River as it's known today, and the Zambezi River all flowed uh, in down a river valley down the Matlotsi River and into the Limpopo below us uh, and ultimately into the ocean. Of course we know that, that Botswana was heavily influenced by the, um, the uh, Rift Valley, uh, the Rift Valley originating up on the Red Sea in Egypt and taking five million years to crack its way through Africa and finally arriving under the sands of the Kalahari in Botswana and creating uh, an immense change in the geology, uh, diverting the Okavango River, or di- capturing the Okavango River to form the Okavango Delta, uh, diverting the Zambezi and the, and the Kwando Rivers, uh, all of which used to flow down the course of the Matlotsi. Uh, and of course today we're left with this river that's been cut off. Uh, it's a much smaller version of itself. It has a much shorter catchment area now. And it's a, it's a mere fossil remnant of what it once was. But it's, hist- it's left this beautiful geology behind for us, uh, of which Solomon's Wall is a, is a fascinating example. If we look at this wall, it look, literally looks like it's uh, been built by human beings. Hence the reference to, to the ancient uh, famous Solomon's Wall of biblical, uh, biblical times. But what we're seeing is essentially the deposition of, of basalt, uh, volcanic rock. If we look at the area, we see there's an immense amount of sandstone as well. This area is famous for its Clarence sandstone formations, which are some of the oldest um, geological formations on Earth. And with all the, the uh, ancient rivers that flowed into the area, immense amounts of alluvium uh, were brought into this area. Uh, this is also a fault line. The uh, area that we're in is known as the, the Limpopo Mobile Belt. And it's a fault line between two very stable cratons, the Carpfall craton on one side of us and the Zimbabwe craton on the other side. And essentially, if you imagine a craton as a mobile belt, as the shell of a tortoise, the, the big scutes or the bigger parts of the tortoise shell would be your, your stable um, cratons, uh, which are comprised of very ancient granites and basalts. Uh, and then the d- dividing lines between the stable cratons would be the sort of joints on the tortoise shell. And we're one of those sort of joints in between two stable aspects of the tortoise shell, known as the Limpopo mobile belt, was essentially a fault line. Uh, and these uh, mobile belts are very unstable, so there's been an immense amount of metamorphosis and folding and bending of rock due to, to heat and pressure. Uh, and that's why we get the, this wonderful landscape around us, which appears so folded and uh, so many different dimensions. And if we look at Solomon's Wall, it, it looks uh, like 
a discon it's a wall on one side and then the wall picks up a couple of hundred meters on the other side and the river flows through the center which is very interesting because if we look away from the river in some of the areas that we do a lot of walking we find immense potholes uh, out here in this arid dry land and these potholes speak of a time when this whole area was covered with water and very fast flowing water that that obviously ground out these pot these giant potholes very much like the ones you see at Burke's Luck in South Africa. So it's interesting to think that at one time this was part of what was essentially a vast marsh inland sort of uh, lake. And the river used to flow in a different direction. Just to the, to the east of where we're sitting uh, is a long um, cliff, uh, almost like the, the, the form and shape of the Niagara Falls. And this river used to flow originally over that um, drop-off, uh, creating a massive uh, waterfall. And then over time, the rivers, as the river uh, had wetter seasons and stronger flow, started to cut its way over a bigger, uh, bigger river front and found a gap between uh, Solomon's Wall, the gap that we see today. And the river then started to chew its way uh, between the two walls uh, and followed a present course. So today we have the two aspects of the wall on either side and the river flowing through the middle as, as the river actually changed direction and uh, went between these two, uh, two sections of the wall. Uh, Solomon's Wall, as I say, is chiefly basalt, which is uh, volcanic origin. Um, so if we look at, historically, the, some of the more ancient sediments here would have been your Clarence uh, sandstone, formed from alluvium, sands that were washed down by rivers, and that's where our sandstone comes from. And then if you look at Solomon's Wall, you can see a, a lot of uh, lower sandstone material, and then capped with, chiefly with basalt. Uh, in a later stage, after the formation and laydown of your sedimentary rocks, there was a period of, of volcanicity, a vast amount of basalt, uh, lava from volcanoes was, was thrust out into the area around about the time when Gondwana land began to split up and Africa and India and South America and Antarctica all drifted in separate directions. There followed a period of immense volcanic activity uh, and a lot of the, um, the sedimentary areas were capped with, with basalt uh, and hence we have the uh, this sort of layer formation of Solomon's Wall with the lower sandstone and this capping of, of, of basalt, uh, creating this, this wall-like uh, wall effect. There is also uh, a certain degree of, of dolerite in uh, Solomon's Wall. And if you look at the rocks we're sitting on, uh, we're on an opposite ridge looking onto Solomon's Wall known as East-West Ridge. And here we see a lot of, uh, of dolerite, very distinctive because of these white streaks in it, which is a mineral called plagioclase. Uh, and it's, it's, it's fascinating if you look on the other side of the ridge we're sitting on, uh, we see this huge big marsh which is essentially as a result of this um, dolerite eroding and, and the uh, plagioclase which uh, forms clay um, forming this vast vast depression of, of very very fertile clay and that's the reason why we're sitting up here enjoying the, the Solomon's Wall and this vast river valley on the one side of us and this huge marsh in front of us this marsh draws a lot of wildlife because it uh, holds a lot of moisture, semi-permeable clays in a semi-arid area like this when the rest of the landscape is, is, is pale, dry and uh, dehydrated. The uh, semi-permeable clay holds moisture and hence it's totally, totally uh, different colour, this emerald green valley below us. Uh, and at this time of year when there's very little to eat, we're seeing warthogs and impala scattered all around the marsh. And we have a lot of uh, success here with lions, uh, often coming to hunt the warthog um, uh, particularly the warthogs that are drawn to, to the marsh. Uh, so again, we see the connection between the landscape and these ancient, ancient rocks to what we're seeing today and how the wildlife is affected and how the wildlife uh, is moving around the area. And everything goes back to, uh, back to, that, uh, to that big bang and to, and to, to those early dusts. And uh, from dust we, we arose and to dust we will return.
and uh, that I find uh, I find fascinating. The little bits I've, I've managed to piece together uh, fascinate me, and uh, it's something that I love to share with with people that come to this beautiful part of of the world. Uh, it's probably one of the finest place to do walking, uh, just because of the immense diversity of, of landscape. Uh, it's never boring. It's never one-dimensional. Every corner you come around, you have a different. Uh, vista, different uh, view, view. We look way into the distance, we see the Mapani forests uh, disappearing into the forever. Uh, and the Mapani is all uh, there by dint of basalt. When your basalts uh, erode, they form very rich uh, clay. Um, and then we have a lot of wildlife up to the north of us in the, uh, in the Mapani areas, particularly in the lower lying drainage lines where your, your finer silt uh, tends to drain through the coarser sands and accumulate in the, in the drainage lines where you get your acacias and your very fine, um, more selective uh, attract, uh, browse that attracts more selective browsers, uh, and this immense diversity uh, as a result of this, this, this very interesting uh, geological situation that we find ourselves in, uh, tucked between the scoots of the tortoise shell in the Limpopo uh, mobile belt. For more audio safaris, visit kuduhere.com.